Since my youth, they have often attacked me, let Israel say. Since my youth, they have often attacked me, but they have not prevailed against me. Plowmen plowed over my back, they made their furrows long. The Lord is righteous, he has cut the ropes of the wicked. Let all who hate Zion be driven back in disgrace. Let them be like grass on the rooftops, which withers before it grows up and can't even feel the hands of the reaper or the arms of the one who binds sheaves. Then none who pass by will say, may the Lord's blessing be on you. We bless you in the name of Yahweh. So we'll be continuing in uh, the second letter to the Corinthians, in our second Bible reading. It's on page 1064 if you're using a church Bible. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 to chapter 3 verse 6. But thanks be to God who always puts us on display in Christ and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma of life leading to life. And who is competent for this? For we are not like the many who market God's message for profit, On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ, as from God and before God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, recognised and read by everyone. It is clear that you are Christ's letter, produced by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on stone tablets, but on tablets that are hearts of flesh. We have this kind of confidence toward God through Christ. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our our competence is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills for the Spirit produces life. G'day, everyone. Where's the middle? I don't know. There we go. Hope you're enjoying the brisk winter that has finally arrived. It's a joy to be together tonight, and a special welcome to you if you're here for the first time. My name's Troy. Great to meet you. I'm one of the ministers here, and We're going to get into the book of 2 Corinthians, so please have that open in front of you and also your sermon outline that I'll be referring to as we go. But before we get into 2 Corinthians, I have a joyful announcement, and that it's that Nathan and Beck are having a baby. This is a wonderful and joyful news. Uh, Praise God for the, the gift of life that he has given you guys. Let's pray for them and for us as we read God's word. God, our Father, we praise you for your great generosity. We thank you that you have made Nathan and Beck parents. We thank you for their new son or daughter, and we praise you for this gift of life. We pray that you would help them to uh, 
trust in you at this time that both Beck and baby will be healthy. And we pray that Nathan and Beck would raise this child knowing and loving the Lord Jesus. We pray now that as we turn to your word in 2 Corinthians, that you would continue to feed and raise us as your children and make us more like the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Why should you listen to me? For the next 20 minutes, I'm going to be speaking up here, and you have a choice. Will you listen or will you not? Should you bother listening? And if you should, why? Are there good reasons or are there no good reasons? Maybe you're thinking, I'm not going to listen. I'm going to have a nap or I'm going to count the bricks in the wall, as many of you like to do, I hear. Uh, (laughs) Oh, thanks, Rob. (laughs) Maybe you'll listen to me because I'm a pastor. Maybe you'll listen to me because I'm your friend or because we know each other well and we love each other. Maybe you'll listen to me because you think I'm interesting. I'll leave that up to you to decide what you think about that. Maybe you'll listen because we're opening up God's word and you want to know what God says. I hope that's the case for you. Maybe you'll listen because you're afraid that afterwards someone will say, what did you like about the sermon? And you won't have anything to say. Maybe you'll listen because you had a hard week and you really want encouragement from God's word. There may be many reasons to listen or not to listen to me for the next little while. But whether or not you will listen to me, it's my hope that you will listen to the Apostle Paul. And actually, this was the issue that Paul was having with the Corinthians. He wanted them to listen to him, but they did not want to listen. They wanted to give up on him. If we stop and remember so far the story of two Corinthians, we'll remember that Paul and the Corinthians had a strained relationship, a deeply invested one, but a deeply difficult relationship. Paul had preached the gospel in Corinth and he'd planted the church years and years ago. He was like their spiritual father who gave birth to them. But they had turned on him. They thought he was too harsh some of the time. Or they liked other more impressive visitors, other preachers better. They didn't really trust Paul anymore because he kept changing his plans. They didn't want to listen to him. Last week we saw that Paul had recently paid them a painful visit. He had to rebuke a sinful man. He rebuked the whole church for not doing something about him. And then after he left, he had to send a severe or grievous letter with a strong rebuke about that same situation. They truly had a strained relationship when you stop and think about it. And so they didn't want to listen to Paul anymore. And you can see the strain in Paul's voice when he starts to tell us about his recent itinerary. So have a look down at chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Paul says he moved from Ephesus up to Troas to preach the gospel and also to get away from a riot. So if you remember, a few weeks ago I mentioned that he was in Ephesus. I've never used a laser before. This is kind of fun. Uh, Ephesus here, and there was a riot, so he had to escape. And so he goes up to Troas here. And what happens in Troas? Well, have a look there. Paul says, I did not have any rest in my spirit because he couldn't find his friend Titus. And so he moved on up to Macedonia, up in the top left there. Titus, why is it important that he didn't find Titus? Well, Titus 
was the one that Paul had sent to Corinth with this severe letter. And so we can see again, Paul cares about the Corinthians. He's anxious to hear their reply that was coming with Titus. Despite their strange relationship, he loves them. He wants to know how they responded to his letter. But then in the passage we just read, and the passage we read last week, Paul is defending himself. He's telling the Corinthians, this is who I am. This is why you should listen to me. I'm an apostle of Jesus. Please listen. So why should they listen to him? That's what we're looking at in this passage today. Well, let's have a look at verse 14. But thanks be to God, who always puts us on display in Christ and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Even though Paul is anxious, waiting for their response, he has no rest in his spirit, he still thanks God. Paul always manages to thank God, doesn't he? Well, why does he thank God? Have a look again. Because God puts him on display. God puts Paul on display to the world. What does that mean? Well, the background behind this image that Paul is using is a victory procession. In many ancient cultures, when a king went to another nation and defeated it, he came back to his own country, to his own cities, and paraded through the streets, celebrating the victory against another nation. And he would be carrying with him all the possessions that he took from those foreign lands and all the people that he had captured, all the slaves, all the prisoners of war. He would go down the main street parading and declaring the good news. And in this procession, there would have been these prisoners. These prisoners who had now lost their rights and their freedoms and were now part of a new kingdom. And this is the image that Paul uses to talk about himself. He says, God has put me on display in his victory procession. I am his prisoner. I am his possession. As I suffer for Jesus, as I spread the gospel from city to city, I am on display for God. It's a striking image, isn't it? But he adds more to it. Paul isn't just this unnoticed prisoner at the back of the line of this procession. No, he says, I'm a smelly prisoner. Have a look again at verse 14. God always puts us, that's Paul, on display in Christ and through us, spreads the aroma of the knowledge of Jesus in every place. In these ancient victory processions, there would have been incense burning. And so as the king went down the streets, the smell of incense would fill the air. And Paul is using that metaphor to talk about the gospel, about the news of Jesus. Paul is talking about his ministry. He's saying, as I travel from city to city, preaching the gospel, suffering for Jesus, God is putting me on display and he's spreading the aroma of Christ. He's spreading the smell of the gospel wherever I preach it, wherever I go. And so Paul is saying, listen to me, Corinthians. Why? Because God is using me. God is using me to spread the message all over the world, everywhere I go. I'm a smelly man giving off a smelly gospel to everyone. But then he tells us even more than that. He tells us not just that the gospel smells, but that it has a particular smell. 
What does the aroma of the gospel smell like, according to Paul? Well, it depends on who you are. Have a look at verse 15. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others an aroma of life leading to life. Paul holds up these two kinds of people. He divides humanity into halves. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And then he uses this powerful metaphor of smell and says that the gospel, the message of Jesus, his life and death and resurrection, they smell different to these two groups of people. Just stop and think for a moment. What's the best smell in the whole world? What is your favorite smell? Is it flowers? Is it freshly baked pretzels coming out of the oven? Is it the person you love and their perfume? Imagine that smell for a moment. Remember that smell in your mind and really smell it in there. How does it make you feel? Good, right? Happy. Joyful. Content. What happens when you get a whiff of that smell? You try to get more. You try to breathe more into your lungs. You try to find out where is it coming from. Smell is incredibly powerful, isn't it? It has the power to change our thoughts and our feelings, our mood and our behavior. Now stop and think again. What is the worst smell that you have ever smelled? Imagine that disgusting smell in your mind right now. How does it make you feel? Awful. I just heard someone say, I've got kids. (laughs) That's a good one. It makes you feel a little bit ill when you think of that worst smell in the world, doesn't it? Smell has great power. power to change our thoughts and feelings, our mood and our behavior. And Paul says that's what it's like for the gospel. There are two kinds of people and the gospel smells differently to each person and there's different responses that come because of that. So have a look again at verse 15 and 16. To those who are perishing, to some, the gospel smells like death. It smells like rot. They hate it. They revile against it. They run away from it. They reject it and do not believe it. And that response leads to death, Paul says. It leads to God's judgment and wrath. It leads to eternal death and hell. Those who are perishing, when they smell the gospel, they reject it. The only way they can be saved. And so that leads to them, for them, it leads to death. But to others, the gospel smells like what? It smells like life. It smells beautiful. It smells attractive. They want to know more about it. They want to breathe it in. They believe in the gospel and they trust in it and they stake their life on it. And this response leads to life. When we smell or hear the gospel and we repent of our sin, we put our faith in Jesus, he gives us forgiveness and life. Life now and life for eternity. Paul says that there's one gospel but two responses. And he's already said this to the Corinthians in his previous letter. Have a look at 1 Corinthians 1 on your outline. 
He says, for the message of the cross, the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is God's power to those who are being saved. When you hear the gospel, your response is either, that's stupid, that's foolish, who would believe in a crucified man? Or, when you hear the gospel, your response is, this is God's wisdom and power. This is the truth that I must believe in and stake my life on. The gospel, the message of the cross, it is amazing. I guess you could say it like this. The gospel is like cooked mushrooms. You cannot be indifferent to the smell of cooked mushrooms. Who here likes the smell of cooked mushrooms? That is disgusting. (laughs) The smell of cooked mushrooms is the stench of death to me. It is so awful. I have to leave the room because it is so bad. Sorry if you've ever served me mushrooms. I do sometimes eat them if I can't taste them or smell them. (laughs) You can't be on the fence about cooked mushrooms. You can't be indifferent. And in the same way, you can't be indifferent to the gospel. You can't sit on the fence. The place doesn't exist. Either you're for Jesus and you believe in him, or you're against him and you don't. The gospel is either the stench of death, or it is the smell and aroma of life. And so Paul forces us to ask the question, do we realize that people respond in one of those two ways? Do you realize that you respond in one of those two ways? If the gospel doesn't smell like life to you, then it smells like death. And if that's you and the gospel smells like death, you reject it. then my encouragement to you is to give it another smell. Read the gospel again in the Bible. Ask a friend, what is the gospel? What is the good news of Jesus? Why should I believe in it? And then reflect on it again, because if it is true, it is amazing and it is the aroma of life. But if it is not, then it is the stench of death. And you can't sit on the fence one way or the other. But for those of us, many of us, who believe the gospel, who smell it and think it is the aroma of life, how should we respond to what Paul says here? Well, it means, first of all, that we can thank God. We can thank God for giving us life through the gospel. And we can thank him for the honor of sharing it with others, which is what Paul does in this passage. And it also means we don't have to be surprised when people hate the gospel or when people hate us. Because it smells like death to them. So let's spread the aroma of Christ without fear of people's response. Let's trust God that he will work in people's hearts and minds. Let's faithfully and diligently speak that message. And know that God will work in people's hearts. But back to our passage. Paul is defending himself. He's saying to the Corinthians, listen to me. I'm not just spouting my own ideas. No, I'm spreading the aroma of Christ. God himself is putting it on display. And then he asked an interesting question at the end of verse 16. He describes his ministry, spreading the aroma of Christ, and then, have a look there, verse 16, he asks, and who is competent for this? 
it seems from this passage and the rest of 2 Corinthians that there were other preachers who visited Corinth other than Paul. And apparently they were more impressive than Paul. The Corinthians decided that they liked these preachers better than they liked Paul. They thought these men were better speakers, more amazing. Maybe they had miraculous powers. Who knows? Listen to one of the reputations that Paul had in 2 Corinthians 10 on our outline. This is what people thought of him. For it is said, his, that's Paul's letters, are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak and his public speaking is despicable. It's pretty harsh, right? This is what people were saying about Paul because they were comparing them to these other preachers. And so the Corinthians start to say, well, is this guy Paul really up to the job? Is he really an apostle? Should we really listen to him anymore? He's a bit boring. He's always suffering and getting chased out of town. Everyone else hates him. Why should we listen to him? And so Paul asks this question. Who is competent? Who is appropriate? Who is the right person for this job? And what's his answer? I am. Paul says, I am. I defend myself, he says. And he gives us three reasons, three defenses why he is the person who should be spreading the aroma of Christ. And we're going to look at each of those three reasons just briefly. So defense number one, have a look at verse 17. For we are not like the many who market God's message for profit. He says, I'm competent. Why? Because I don't preach the gospel for financial gain, for personal gain, like these other preachers do. They're in it for the money. Instead, Paul says in verse 17, I spread the aroma of Christ. I speak the gospel with sincerity, not hidden motives. I do it with integrity, mindful that I am sent from God himself. I do my ministry before God. Mindful he is watching me at every moment. That's defense number one. Defense number two, have a look at chapter three, verse one. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Sometimes in our church, uh, people put me down as a reference when they're applying for a job or they're going to lead on a camp or something like that. Somebody calls me up and I say nice things about you hopefully. Uh, That's a little bit what's happening here. It seems that there were these more impressive visiting preachers and they came with letters of recommendation, with references. And so they had this proof in their hands, signed papers saying, look, you should listen to us. And so the Corinthians start to think, Paul never showed us anything like that. Paul never showed us any letter of recommendation. Why should we listen to him? And you can imagine Paul's frustration, can't you? He'd say, are you kidding me? Do you really need a letter from me? I planted your church. I preached the gospel to you. Okay, so these people, they have letters of recommendation. Okay, let me show you my letter, Paul says. Let me show you my recommendation. And then he points at them. Have a look at verse 2. He says, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts. You are the proof that you should listen to us, he says. What does he mean? Have a look at verse 3. It is clear that you are Christ's letter, produced by us, not written with ink, 
but with the spirit of the living God, not on stone tablets, but on tablets that are hearts of flesh. Paul says, when I first preached the gospel to you, I preached the one true gospel, the gospel of freedom in the spirit, not the gospel of law-keeping, obeying the stone tablets that were written on when Moses was around. No, I preached the true gospel of grace to you. And not only did I preach the true gospel to you, but you became Christians. That's my letter of proof. I'm like a father in the gospel to you. You are my letter from Jesus, scribed and delivered by me. You were saved when I preached the gospel to you. And Paul here picks up on this language from Ezekiel 36. It's a wonderful prophecy speaking about when the Messiah would come. And Paul says, God has fulfilled this prophecy. Have a look at it. When I preached the gospel to you, God gave you a new heart, Corinthians. God removed your heart of stone and rejected, sorry, that rejected God, and then gave you a heart of flesh that has faith in God. God put his spirit in you, so now you follow Jesus. Paul is building up his argument. My proof is that you are Christians. You believe the gospel. That's my defense. The Holy Spirit changed you through me. And just in case Paul started to sound a little smug at this point, he gives us defense number three. Have a look at verse five. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our competence is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Paul's final defense is that he is competent not to he's competent to preach the gospel only because God has made him competent. His competence is from God and not from himself. Because it was God that saved Paul. God that met him on the road to Damascus. It was God who taught Paul the gospel. Not a gospel of law-keeping to be saved, like these other preachers were probably spouting. No, the gospel of freedom in the spirit. God, he's the one who shaped Paul into this passionate evangelist, this man of integrity. God is the one who gifted Paul to preach and teach, even if people thought it was despicable. Paul gives God the glory, not himself. And that's defense number three. So all through this passage we see, Paul continues to defend himself. He shows the Corinthians that he is an authentic apostle. He shows the Corinthians that he has been equipped and approved by God. God uses him to spread the aroma of Christ. And people are becoming Christians, including the Corinthians. Paul shows them that because of all this, they should listen to him. They should accept him and listen to him as an apostle of Jesus, as one who's been given authority from Jesus to preach and teach and tell them what is good and right. He might not be as impressive as the other preachers around town, but he is their apostle. They must listen to him. But what about us? That's all well and good for the Corinthians 2,000 years ago, but we don't have Paul with us and we're not the Corinthians clearly so how should we respond to paul's words here this particular situation that they faced well first of all we can imitate paul and his ministry can't we as he imitates christ we can imitate paul we can spread the aroma of christ and do it with integrity 
We can thank God for the honor of sharing in the gospel with people. We can praise him that he has given us life by his Holy Spirit. We can get rid of our pride and give God the glory. Because everything we know and all the gifts that we have to speak and share the gospel with other people, they're all from him. Our confidence comes from him. There are many things about Paul we can imitate in this passage, and we should. But the main thing we need to do is listen to him. Paul doesn't just call the Corinthians to listen to him back then. He calls all people to listen to him. To us here and now to listen to him, to accept his words. Why? Because as Christians, we follow Christ, and therefore we follow apostles of Christ. Because they are more, Paul's letters are more than just letters. We know that they're God's word. We know that he is an authentic apostle sent by Jesus. Come with Jesus' authority. So whether or not you choose to listen to me, you must listen to Paul. He's an apostle of Jesus sent by him. Now I realize that I'm speaking to a room of people who for the most part say, yeah, I believe that. I believe Paul's letters are the word of God. We need to listen to them. We need to live by them. But maybe you don't think that. Or maybe you're tempted, like all of us are at some time, to ignore what Paul says. Because it's too strong. Or it's too difficult. Or it's too hard to accept. Sometimes we are tempted to say, I'll just stick with what Jesus says in the Gospels. That'll do me. And ignore Paul a little bit. But Jesus does not allow us to do that. Because Jesus handpicked his 12 apostles plus Paul, 13. He picked them by name and he chose them to carry his word and his authority to the church. So to ignore an apostle of Jesus is to ignore Jesus himself. So in a world that is increasingly hostile to God, we need to hold on to the gospel, but also the letters and teaching of the Apostle Paul. When we are tempted to be ashamed of Paul and his words, or tempted to ignore part of it, we need to be reminded these are God's words to us. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. So when Paul says God's judgment is coming soon, then we need to live in light of it. Or when Paul says that the church needs to build itself up and love each other, we need to do that. When Paul says he has lovingly predestined us, we need to accept that, even though it's hard to understand. When Paul says if we're not willing to work, then we should not eat, we should take that seriously. When Paul says flee sexual immorality, we cannot dance with the line. When Paul says marriage vows are to be honoured, we need to accept that and love our spouse. When Paul says that homosexual action is sinful, we need to accept what he says, even if people call us bigots. When Paul says that we are children of God, immensely loved by him, saved by the blood of Jesus, we need to find our identity and value in that, not in what our world tells us. We cannot pick and choose when it comes to the Apostle Paul. He is an authentic and approved Apostle of Jesus, so let's listen to him. Let's listen to the wonders of the gospel that he explains page after page of his letters, but let's also listen to the hard things too. 
the words that are hard to accept or understand. On the outside, the gospel looks like a foolish message of a crucified man. To some, it is the stench of death. It is completely opposite to what our world says is wise and good and right. But God has made it for us who believe, those who are being saved, the aroma of life. It is the wisdom and power of God that saves us. And Paul is an apostle of that gospel. So let's listen to him. And let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the wisdom and depths of uh, amazing uh, doctrine that you give us in the letters of the Apostle Paul. We thank you for these words here, which remind us of the wonder of the gospel, that it smells like life and gives us life. But we also are reminded that we live in a world that thinks the gospel smells like death, and it leads them to death. Lord, we pray that you would help us to faithfully spread that aroma of Christ, so that more people would smell it, and more people would see that it is life, and that they would accept it. And have eternal life. We pray that you'd also help us to hold on to your word as found in Paul's letters. To stand up for them when the time is called for. And also to reflect on them and the wonder of your gospel written down in his words. And we pray in Jesus' name for that strength. Amen.